So as I said before, we're in a series on our vision and mission, and we're in the final part of that mission uh, statement, and it's becoming disciples of Jesus who refresh their world. And that word is, is really intentional. In our, in our previous mission statement, we had the word renewal, and I really push back against that word because I don't think that we bring renewal as Christians, as church members, as those who carry within us the Spirit of God, uh, but that we can bring refreshment in the world. It's God that brings the renewal. And so I want you to think about what is refreshing to you. When you think of that word, what kind of things come to mind for you? Refreshment. Uh, maybe a cool drink on, on a hot day in October in Memphis. <laughs> maybe it's like a, a, a fresh coat of paint in a, in a room. You spruced up and you got like a new refreshing coat of paint there. Or maybe a, a cool breeze uh, on a hot day in November in Memphis. Um, and, and I think if we all think about it, there's been times that we've been around a person or a group of people that we noticed after the fact we felt refreshed as well. Anybody think of a, a moment like that for them where, where there was a, a group of people or a person that you spent some time with and after the fact you realize you felt really refreshed by that conversation and situation. Um, these type of interactions, I think they have some things in common. And I think it's something that we, that we really want to gather our hearts and our minds around and see this as, as our mission at Christ City Church, to re-up on this mission of being people who can bring refreshment. And I think some of the key ingredients of that refreshment in those conversations that we've had in, in those meetings with people are people who are just humble and they're honest that they can share honestly about their own feelings and thoughts about the world and, uh, and that they have a sense of humility that they don't, they don't have it all figured out and they're not trying to get it all right all of the time. And this story in the scriptures here, I love this, this story so much and um, I almost was grieving over all the things that we don't have time to talk about it today, but this story from my perspective, really exemplifies refreshment. And I think there's a couple of ways that I wanna share with you that it, that it shows that. And, and the first way is that this woman who breaks the perfume on Jesus, anoints Jesus, she's, she's acting out of both something that's planned and it's spontaneous out of the same, at the same time. And that's refreshing. That could be really refreshing. And the second thing is that Jesus's response to her actions, his response to her spontaneous and planned kind of action that she took were refreshing as well. And thirdly, that even the differing opinions and the situation happening in the room as she acts are refreshing as well. So, so let's start here in this first verse that we're looking at, verse three, and get a sense of, of what's happening 
uh, right before the event takes place. It says in verse three, while he, Jesus, was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. So I'm sure you guys have some nard at home, right? And you know all about what that is. I, I didn't. Um, but, but I want to give you some context about what this stuff is. Uh, it is imported. It's not from the area. It's from the Himalayan mountains of like an elevation of at least 10,000 feet up to 16 and a half thousand feet. And it grows up from these little plants that flower and they have to be brought down and crushed and turned into this thing that becomes what's called nard or spike nard. And so she has this stuff and it's, we find out from the text over a year's worth of wages. So whatever your salary is for the year, think about that and think about having that in a bottle, okay? All that money in liquid form in a bottle, in a, in a very nice bottle, right? And there's no filler in it. They let us know in the text, Mark lets us know that it's pure, right? So it's not like uh, you know, some of y'all's uh, Gucci bags that you got on the street of New York that were like 20 bucks, right? And they're being held together by duct tape and stuff. Anybody, anybody ever got any of that stuff? It looks so real, doesn't it? It looks so real. And then it falls apart. It's like, how did this fall apart? It looks exactly like the, anyway, I'm getting off the subject there, right? So what this tells us about this woman's decision is that Jesus was really important to her, right? I mean, to, to, to decide to do this, to think like, yes, that's what I'm gonna do with that year's worth of wages of stuff from the Himalayan mountains that I somehow have possession of that's probably my life savings or something that I'm meant to last for the rest of my life. I'm gonna take this and I'm going to spend it all in one moment just to show Jesus my gratitude, my gratitude for what his presence has meant in my life. And, and so she planned this, sorta. She planned this lavish and generous action. So she had to think in her mind, like, I'm gonna go take this. I'm gonna go, somehow I'm gonna give this to Jesus. I'm gonna do this to Jesus and I am thinking about in my mind, at least it had to come across her mind when she came into the room or beforehand, like, how are people going to react to this? What are people going to think of me? And, and out of her passion of what she had experienced from Jesus, she made a plan to act, to act on the sense of gratitude that she felt inside of her. And here's what I know about our mission statement, that, that people who have experienced some recovery of life in Jesus, in the life of Jesus, in the spirit of the Messiah that dwells in our congregation, and we make space for that to happen, people who have experienced that and who have then been able to reimagine their purpose, to find renewed purpose in the world, as, as I'm sure that this woman had, naturally what grows out of that 
is this gratitude and this presence that could be so refreshing to other people, to, to uh, people who might be whom we feel gratitude towards and even other people who are just around that situation. So um, I was just thinking about different gifts. I was thinking about, you know, what it, what it would have been like to be Jesus and you're, and you're eating a meal and you're probably teaching something profound or maybe you're making fun of Peter or something, I don't know. And, and then this woman comes and just, you know, douses you with this, this really expensive, really, really fra- fragrant oil. And I was thinking about, you know, different kind of gifts that we, that we give people. And, and I was thinking, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes we give really lame gifts. Some, sometimes we feel gratitude, but we like measure it. And we think like, okay, I'm going over to my friend's house at this party for dinner and, uh, and I'm gonna make this dish that I like. And when I bake it for myself, I use organic stuff, right? Or I use like the top shelf oils. But when I take it over to my friend's house, I'm going to Aldi and I'm getting the, like the cheapest stuff possible at Aldi or I'm gonna, I'm gonna look in the almost expired section over here with the manager's special little like red sticker on it, right? Sometimes, so anybody ever guilty of that? Anybody wanna, wanna bust themselves out on that? that sometimes we give kind of lame, lame gifts. <laughs> Yeah, I know Aldi has good stuff. I know there's Aldi people out there that feel, you know, that Aldi's really great. Um, I gave this gift one time. I thought it was really great. Uh, I was in middle school, and my friend loved the video game Street Fighter. Everybody, Street Fighter generation, Hadoukens, Ryu, all that stuff. And I drew him a picture of Ryu. And I was like, what can I get this guy? I'm going to get him this picture. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know what? I want to make like a poster size like small poster, I was in eighth grade, so I didn't have, you know, the dimensions. But, um, I, and I drew this picture of, of Ryu, the character from Street Fighter, and I watercolored it, and I thought it was like this really great drawing. And uh, I was so excited to give it to him. And you know, it was funny, because once I got done with it, I'm like, man, this is so good. Like, I don't wanna give this to him. And I had my mom take me to Kinko's. Okay, some of you aren't even old enough to know that Kinko's used to be its own thing. It wasn't connected to FedEx. And we went to Kinko's and made a photocopy of it on, on thick paper, okay? And, and I gave him the photocopy instead because I wanted to keep the, the original for myself. And I, and I rolled it up and I put a little ribbon around it and tied it and I gave it to him and I was so excited. And uh, when I saw the look on his face when he opened, opened it up, I was like, oh, Okay, yeah, we, we have different ideas about what a good gift is. I'm pretty sure he threw that, that thing away. And uh, everybody else gave him a lot cooler, better gifts. But not this woman, right? She didn't do that. She didn't give some photocopied picture of a Street Fighter character to, to Jesus with her generosity. She didn't measure it. She didn't hold it back. She said, how can I fully express this gratitude that I feel? And so she made a plan. She reflected on what she had gained and she planned her life. Look, this was not just like a birthday party type of plan for a present. 
This was going to impact the entire rest of her life, the gift that she was giving, the gratitude and the passion and the plan that that took. It was a plan where she had to calculate and think about, if I use this for this purpose, my savings are gone. My ability maybe even to make a living in some kind of way has now changed because of this generous plan that I've got here. And here's, here's what I know. Here's what I've been learning is that when we are worn down by life, a lot of us have been taught that what you do is you shrink back, you build up your walls, and you hoard your resources, whether those be your heart and your emotions or your money, or your time. And that's what you need to do to protect yourself. But what I, what I know is that when we contemplate, when we meditate on the things that we can be grateful for, the gratitude that we can have for the things that we have from God and from others, it is a secret weapon that can unleash refreshment on the world on those around us, it can make us generous. You know, and, 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 and that overflows to others. It doesn't just affect the person that we're being generous to. I, I, I love this in John's uh, recounting of this story. In John chapter 12, verse three, it says this, it says, then Mary, we get a name, took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. The house was filled with her generous plan that she enacted upon Jesus. So this very expensive, very rare scent Everybody smelled it. Nobody forgot about that. You know, this is one of the only things, uh, well, I didn't double check that. This is, this is a thing that is in all four of the gospels, right? So Jesus said, hey, nobody's gonna forget about this. It's gonna be known. And then, you know what? It shows up in all four accounts of Jesus's life here. And you can bet that the people in that room never forgot the smell and the fragrance of that moment. And so this plan that was gonna alter the whole rest of the life of this woman to show passion and generosity, it impacted not just Jesus, but everybody in the room and us today, 2000 years later. It was spontaneous and planned. So a refreshing person has both the ability to be spontaneous in life and to make plans. You know, usually we sort of, a certain culture will elevate one or the other, but we see this woman acting out of both at the same time. Sometimes I don't, I'm not good at that. Sometimes I don't feel spontaneous. Sometimes I, I clam up and I get rigid in life. And I'm thankful for this example here. Uh, it, it, was, it was spontaneous because this perfume was very valuable and it was probably only usually used for various special occasions. It was planned because she brought it with her. Like she knew she wanted to give it to Jesus in some way. It was spontaneous 
because she might not have known exactly what she was going to do with it when she got there. You know, like if, if the plan was to kind of like wipe it onto Jesus's feet, if, if she knew she was going to do that ahead of time, she might have brought a cloth, right? But she, she ended up using her, her hair. So there was like this, this combination of like, I want to take this. I want to do this thing. I'm thinking about the cost. I'm thinking about what it's going to be. And I'm kind of figuring it out at the same time along the way there. There's something refreshing about somebody who isn't so worried about what's going to happen uh, tomorrow that they can't make a plan today. And also somebody who can, who can feel what they're feeling, who can, who can allow their passion and their gratitude to allow them to do things spontaneous that they maybe didn't think about, that they maybe didn't plan ahead of time. When, when I think about this, a lot of examples come to mind. They're usually cross-cultural examples too. I, I, uh, my wife and I, Becky, uh, over 10 years ago, we visited a friend who had moved to Nairobi, Kenya. She was an American woman. She moved to Nairobi, Kenya, and she was a photographer for this organization called the IMB. But she was, her heart was captured by these orphan boys on the streets of Nairobi, Kenya. And, um, and she moved into the downtown area and lived with a, with, a, with a Kenyan woman and her sister that she had become close with. So in Nairobi, there's a huge missionary compound in the really nice part of the city. It's, it's a compound. It's walled off, really nice apartments. And our friend, who we had lived in an intentional community with previously, she lived in the city with Kenyan friends. She was fluent in Swahili because she spoke it all the time. And we went and visited her. And... Uh, we went and visited all of these orphans that lived on the street and uh, hung out with them and sat in uh, these things. They're called, they call them hotels, but they're like these little diners on the street. And I remember this, this little boy who had nothing was, was offering to share a banana with me. Like he didn't even know where the rest of his food for the day was going to come with. And he's like, here, have, have some of my banana. And then in a, a, another day on that trip, we visited that missionary compound. And in the backyard of the missionary compound was this avocado tree like nothing I'd ever seen before. Y'all have not, you don't even know what avocados are supposed to look like here in Memphis, Tennessee. Like these avocados were as big as, not as big as my head, my head's big, but they were big, okay? They were, they were like, you know, um, uh, gr like bigger than grapefruits, like a full-grown full grapefruit. Um, I've never eaten a grapefruit. I don't know why anybody would, but the size was similar. Um, and they were just hanging from this tree, and they were just, and they were falling over the yard, and they were rotting. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to throw shade on these, on these missionaries that I will not name, but I was just looking at the contrast there. You feel me? Like there was so much that could be generous with in that situation, but there was a barrier to it. And, and here's what I want to ask you. 
as we talk about what it means to be a refreshing presence in the world, uh, because you can't, you can't really be that um, uh, grateful without some faith. You can't really, that gratefulness can't really turn into generosity without, without some faith. So, so what I wanna ask you, are there, are there things that you've been holding back on being generous with in your life? To, to the people around you, to your, to your church community, to your work community, to your spouse, to your family? Are there things that you look at that, you look at that bottle of perfume and you say, yeah, but what if? Like, what if this happens? What, what if I won't really be taken care of? Like, I need all of my reserves because I really don't believe anybody is there for me. Are you spiking your perfume gifts with lavender? <laughs> are, are you giving the $20 Gucci bag, right, that, that you know is going to fall apart in two days in your, in your generosity? Uh, here, here's, what, here's what I know. Um, that when you... When you give out of that, when you're grateful, you have gratitude, but you measure, you measure your generosity, you hedge your bets every time, that what you end up giving, that the fragrance that ends up fill, filling the room is, is actually that very way of thinking. You think you're just giving the gift, but the fragrance that fills the room is actually scarcity, is, is a lack of faith, is, is the reinforcing the narrative and the idea that there isn't enough in a world of excess. You know, um, a refreshing person knows that holding tightly to what they accumulate can't create the type of full living and life that the kingdom of God offers. So this woman, she gives out of faith and, and, and even humility. And she understands something. This is why she's here in front of Jesus. Because one of the things that Jesus taught her is this idea of grace, that everything is a gift sparked generosity. It was refreshing. I want to jump forward for a minute here into Jesus's response. He says, after people kind of grumble and stuff about what she did behind the scenes, I'm sure some people were just shocked and there were a lot, of, probably a lot of different responses. But in verse six, he says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Um, Jesus is receptive to what she's doing in, in a spontaneous way. Like he can receive this thing spontaneously. I mean, Jesus is also a planner for sure. He's not, he's not, one, he's not one or the other. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, if you wanna get real kind of um, uh, es 
eschatological about it, like the, the whole end time theology of, of the, the entire scope of things. Like he's really planned, uh, he's really planned this thing since, since before the world was created, right? So that's, that's quite a plan right there, right? But he's, he's planned other things. You know, he says, he says about the poor, the poor you always have with you, right? And the reason why he's talking about that is because he had a regular ministry to the poor. It was part of the plan. So, so for this woman to come with this jar of really expensive stuff as like a donation to the ministry, you would, you would kind of think Jesus would be like, yeah, hold up, like, let's follow the plan. Let's do the thing. Like we can, we can feed people for a year with this. So let's be cautious. Let's be wise about this. And so here we see this amazing combination in Jesus of planning but not rigidity. He's not stifling this woman's passion and generosity and, and, and this action, no pun intended, is dripping with that. So, um, you know, I, some, of you, some of you might have a hard time with this. Some of you might not like this and, 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 and that's okay. Just, just, just try to think about it for a minute. You know, Jesus says that, uh, in verse eight, she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. So Jesus adds a interpretation and a meaning to what this woman did. I don't think she had any clue that Jesus was about to die and that she was preparing him for his burial. And and I think Jesus is, is so masterful at taking what happens and learning how to, to, with the mindset of the kingdom of heaven, learning how to see it as a part of a greater meaning, a greater purpose. So I think that if this woman would have done that two years ago in his ministry, he would have determined another reason why what she did was so meaningful and beneficial and important because he had the ability to be that planned and spontaneous at the same time. It's so refreshing to me. And here's what I want every one of us to hear this morning. That this flexibility, this spontaneity that God in the flesh had, that Jesus had, if he's able to do that, Maybe we could loosen up a little bit. Maybe we could be a little bit more flexible. Maybe we could be a little bit more spontaneous. And for a few of us, you'll have to, you'll have to select yourself out because some of you need some planning in your life, right? Like, oh, yes, the preacher said they just keep being spontaneous and, and now I need somebody to bail me out of my third credit card right now, right? Like, no, nah, that's not what I mean. <laughs> but I just want to say we see God, and, and, and if you go back and you read the Gospels and you think about it from this lens, like, look at the ways that Jesus spontaneously responded to different people. He didn't just have a track of the same thing he just gave out to everybody when they asked the question. He gave everybody a different answer. It's refreshing to me to know that. It's refreshing to me to know that Jesus isn't confined by the law of shoulds. Like if I'm in this camp, I should do it this way. 
If I, if, I'm, if I identify with conservatives, I should only respond to situations this way. If I'm a liberal, I should only think about it this way or do it that way, right? Like he's free from it. He's free from some should that's dead on a piece of paper, some ideology. He's free from those things. He lives in response to what's happening around him and in front of him, and that's how he plans. He, he thinks and responds freely based on what he feels and thinks about a situation instead of what he should think and feel. I want anybody in this church, anybody online, anybody anywhere that listens to me preach, if you hear me tell you, as Christians, we should X, I want you to send me a message and say, Jamin, you said you weren't gonna do that because I don't believe that helps anybody at any time to say, we should be this, but what if you're not? What if you're not? Then what? Then how do I think and feel and respond to the situation? What if I'm not? Because I'm not always refreshing presence. I'm not always in line with this or that idea. And I love that Jesus freely responds to the situations. I don't hear Jesus telling people, you should. He asks some questions, right? He responds to what's in front of him. And I think we can do that too. I think we can do that too. So I'm big on ministry to the poor. I'm big on racial justice. I'm big on treating people equitably, no matter their sexual orientation and so on and so forth. I'm big on those things. But here's something that I, that I love about what I hear Jesus saying here. Jesus, Jesus is, he understands that anything can become shackles that stop you from thinking for yourself and responding in a refreshing way to the world around you. That, that serving and uplifting and liberating the poor, it could become legalism too, to the point where you cannot enjoy the spontaneity of someone's passion and love in life and you become rigid in your thinking and you become inflexible and you cease to be a refreshing presence in the world. So if you're doing the things you're doing only out of shoulds, that's what you'll pass to other people. That's the aroma that fills the room. So I think what this world needs is a people who are refreshing enough to both plan generosity and act and respond spontaneously out of generosity. So the second thing here that I said we were gonna talk about is that, are, that a refreshing presence, a refreshing community, it looks like a diversity of opinions and views. So uh, this is gonna throw some of us for a loop and I hope it does. I hope you're still with me right now. I know I've already filled up the room with a lot of stuff, my own fragrance, right, you know? Um, in verse four, it says this. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Again, the plan, the plan in Jesus's ministry was to help the poor. 
So this view of these grumblers, it made sense. Like the ministry of the poor was a normal part of what they did. Jesus affirms her, but Jesus also doesn't throw out all the folks who are saying something that's contrary to what he's bringing to the table. He's not like, oh, you disagree with me? Well, you're out of the fellowship, you're gone. Like, this is how we're doing things now. Here's the new law. He's just like, hey, y'all leave her alone. Listen, this is important. Let me, let me show you what she's doing here. And, and he's like, you, you can keep going with the plan. You can kill, still keep helping the poor. I'm the one who got you on that in the first place, right? So you can keep doing that, but don't miss this beautiful moment of what happens spontaneously here. God, I wanna be like that. I don't wanna miss those moments. I wanna be a refreshing presence. I want our church to be a refreshing presence. And here's the thing though, this diversity of thoughts happening here, it created a container for us to learn from this conversation. It didn't break apart the community of Jesus, it strengthened it, the difference of opinions and views of this situation. The flexibility that came in, it actually strengthened that community. We have this thing at Christ City uh, called, called the pendulum. And uh, we've got some slides of it, of it here. And it's this idea, and in our culture, in our world, it's a very ambitious idea. And it's one that I really believe in as well. Um, it's this idea that what we don't need to do is, is, is silo off ourselves from people that don't think like us about the world, that don't have the same view uh, and, and interpretation of things. So could we put that, the, uh, the pendulum slide up there um, on the screen? So this container uh, that we want to build is this sort of swinging pendulum and that, that we do have, uh, it, it's, you know, it's there. Um, and, and the idea is that through these different interactions, just like we see in this story, that we can have better conversations, that we can find ourselves transformed and strengthened as a community. And so on the right side of the pendulum, you've got uh, this, the more traditional conservative ideology, and on the left side you have the more progressive and uh, liberal uh, ideology, and that affects theology and those kinds of things as well. So, um, in, in general, uh, when you're thinking about what the perspective of, of these two sides that make it hard for this container to happen, for people to live in the same community together and work together, especially in a church community or something like that, um, is that people on, uh, on the right, if you ask them what was most important in general, they might say piety and truth. On, on more of the right side of the pendulum. And on the left, if you asked people what was most important, in general, they'd probably say freedom and love. So if you, if you said to somebody on the right, there's no freedom in your piety, the person on the right might say, well, um, knowing how to interact with God gives me freedom for how to live. And, and, if, and if you said to somebody on the left, 
there's no piety in your freedom, well, that person might say, well, uh, I've been set free in Christ, and because of that, living in freedom allows me to live holy and blameless before God. And, and if you said to somebody on the right then, hey, there's no love in your truth, then they might say, uh, well, when I tell people the truth, I'm loving them. And then the, other, the person on the right might say to the person on the left, hey, there is no truth in your love. They might say, well, love is the highest expression of the truth of God that there is. And so when people are together having this conversation, existing in sort of a swing of having this conversation, it could be really powerful and healthy, but we're getting further away from that to the point where we see more of just echo chambers on the left and the right. Go ahead and change the slide. Yeah, uh, echo chambers, the left and the right, where uh, those groups are completely isolated from each other and they just throw haymakers and bombs at each other through social media and tweets and things like that. And um, what we're doing, the experiment that we're in at Christ City is that we are people who want to leave the echo chambers and come back to the middle and have better conversations like the people here in the story uh, that we're reading from today and uh, have transformational conversations because um, we don't see everything from our perspective. We don't see everything. And so when we stay in conversation with one another, we strengthen our community and we get a more robust understanding of the world of what it means to follow Jesus. And something special can happen when we do that. And that's, uh, if, if you uh, turn the, well, let me say this. See that circle? Um, there's people outside of that circle because our church won't be progressive enough for the most progressive people sometimes. And our church won't be conservative enough for the most conservative people sometimes. So that's okay with us. But here's what we can do together. We can become this analogy uh, that I love here of kites and flyers. So when you're flying a kite, there's somebody on the ground. We call that person the flyer. And that person is that person grounded in that piety and truth perspective. They keep us grounded. They remind us of important things from the past, from the traditions, uh, from all of the wisdom in those things. Those are our priests and stewards. And then uh, the kite and the tension of the string up to the kite gives us the prophets and the mystics, those who identify a lot more often with the left side of the pendulum, soaring to heights to see things that we otherwise maybe might miss. And if you've ever flown a kite, it's kind of a, it's kind of a pull and it's kind of the flyer is pulling the kite sometimes and sometimes the kite is pulling the flyer. And that's actually can be a super refreshing thing. Like that's actually part of our mission to be refreshment in the world is to say, oh my gosh, look at those people. They're sitting there with each other. Part of their mission is that they can actually disagree on ideas and still be a family together. 
Does that sound impossible to you right now? In 2021? I, th- I think it's impossible. I think it's impossible. But that's what we do in, in, in the church, in the body of Christ. That's what we do. We do impossible things. Why well, have faith if you can't do anything that's impossible? Right? Why well, have faith? So, for those of us who want it bad enough by the grace of God, and through the refreshment of the presence of Jesus with us, maybe we can do this impossible thing. So here's, here's where, I, where I'll end. These, these conversations uh, between folks on, on either sides, this community that can have more in common than just if they believe all the same ideas, it needs the mediation of Christ. That's what happens in this story. It's mediated by Christ, bringing attention, bringing interpretation to events that couldn't otherwise be discerned by the human perspectives in the room. So if we wanna be a refreshing presence, then we get together with our different ideas, our different ways of viewing reality, and we leave those echo chambers where we just have the things reinforced that we already think, we already believe about the world, We come into a space where we allow Christ to mediate that conversation. That is part of our mission as a church to become a refreshing presence. I don't want to say, look, my mission's so important in the church, I'm leaving behind anybody who doesn't agree with me. I think that hurts the mission. I think it's part of the mission. When Jesus said, make disciples of every nation, every group of people. Uh, I better stop. Um, I, didn't, I didn't have my clock this morning. I'm a, uh, yeah, so when you have a religion that starts that way, everybody, everybody comes in, then this is part of the mission. And it's impossible. And we're gonna do it anyway. So let's pray and take communion.